Welcome to another place in time Where one day you'll be dead or you'll survive Hello everybody and welcome to Dead or Survive. I am your host, Rob Riches. And I'm your other host, Cheryl Riches. So, we are doing this ahead of time. We're early, so we can't tell you what happened this week because we don't know. We have no clue what's going on. <laughs> We're just hoping the earth is still here. Nobody's blowing it up. True. Uh, we are going on holidays, but we know that you guys would miss us so much. Yes. All 10 of you that listen to us <laughs> would be sad. Yeah, we have to have things in place for people. We do. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want anybody to have to suffer the fate of going without my voice. Could you imagine that? <laughs> I'm sure there's people out there that just tuck themselves in the bed and then listen to my voice and drift off to sleep. Are you saying you put people to sleep? Yep. <laughs> I do. Yes. I am better than a whatever app that you listen to. Oh, that's a good app. That's Insight Timer Plus. Yeah, what's that do? I don't know, but they should pay for this podcast. What is <laughs> it's, it? It's my meditation. That's what the word I was looking for, meditation. I'm way better in meditation. I no. can relax and No, really, you. like when you try to do it, like sometimes, okay, sometimes <laughs> I will put my meditation app on and Rob will try to like talk over the meditation. And he'll what do you be mean like, try to talk over He'll be it. like, you are getting very sleepy. <laughs> You are getting sleepy. <laughs> Rest all of your body. And, and then I'm like, okay, I'm never going to sleep now. And that's how that goes. Take your bottom toes and crunch them <laughs> up and then release. Okay, but seriously, if any of you have problems sleeping, I love this app. It's called It's called Insight Timer Plus and it's free. And it will put you to sleep. I guarantee it. If you put the like the guided meditation on, it'll put you to sleep. So she says, it doesn't put me to sleep. I think it does. Because I think you fall asleep faster than I do most times that I put it on. Nope. Yes. Nope. Anyways. I usually kick you afterwards, see if you're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So uh, by the time you hear this, we should be somewhere in Deep River. Mm-hmm. Pembroke. Pembroke area, yep. Visiting your brother. Yeah. Try attempt number two. Attempt number two. Hopefully it does not go like attempt number one because then I quit. I'm (laughs) never going to visit him again. Yeah, that's probably a good plan. Uh, So, yeah, so I guess there's not a whole lot to talk about. We might as well just go right into your story. We might as well start. Yep. So you got a drink? I do. I have my friend, Nicole told me about Gertie. Nicole who? Richie. I'm going to talk to that woman. Yeah. This is a conversation we had a long time ago. She was like, have you ever tried? I don't even know what this wine is called. It's a type of wine. Like it's, it's not Chardonnay. It's called Gooster Miner or something like that. I've never had it before, but she goes, oh yeah, it's my favorite. She calls it Gertie. So it's Gertie wine. And I just had my first glass of it and I'm really enjoying it. Well, let's hope you don't really enjoy it before the podcast's over. <laughs> Why? I can always pause and go get more. Oh, my God. <laughs> you have a drink? I have a drink. Do you have your story? I have a story. Let her rip potato chip. Okay. This week, I'm going to tell you about 
three women. <sighs> Don't you start with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina De, De Jesus. Jesus. De Jesus. Oh. <laughs> yes, but spelt like De Jesus. Right? Okay. Sure. Anyways. I'm not saying. I'm Go telling ahead. you. Okay. Between 2002 and 2004, these women were all kidnapped by the same man in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm sure you've heard this story yes. before. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a good story, and it deserves telling. So, anyways. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> um, all of them were held captive until 2013. So, I'm going to tell you their stories. I'll start with Michelle Knight. Make sure you get it right. This is national headline news. It is. It was everywhere. It is. But you screw this up and so help me God, I am going to be able to Google everything about it. <laughs> you can Google any of my stories. Yeah, but this one. And I really... never get everything all right. Oh boy. But I'm going to try my best. Okay. Okay. Stop interrupting. Michelle was born. <laughs> yeah, that's what Paul said. Paul said you interrupted me too much. <sighs> <laughs> what does he know? <laughs> okay. Michelle was born April 23rd, 1981. Michelle had a rough start to her life already. She had been sexually abused by a male relative, and she was also emotionally abused. Knight said, Knight said that she loved growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, but she hated her life at home. They didn't have a couch to sit on, and they didn't have a stove. They had to make their meals on a space heater, so like it took four hours to cook just hot dogs. Which is, I mean, I know that we've had, I've had some hardships in my life. I don't think I've ever been at that point. That's pretty rough. Uh, she was basically a mother to her brother while growing up. When Michelle was 14, though, she'd had enough. She decided she was safer living on the streets than she was at home, and she ran away. At this point, she lived in a garbage can, like legit. She took a blanket from somebody's back porch, cuddled up in it, and then lived underneath a a bridge in her garbage can. She started taking refuge in a local Baptist church where she was given food, clothes, and a place to bathe. But one day a congregant saw her at the church and reported it to her father. So her father came and got her and he sent her back to school where she said she was bullied. She started seeing a boy from school, got pregnant and gave birth to her son, Joey at 18. Michelle tried her very best to be a good mother, but it was difficult because of her circumstances. Are you still with me over there? Still with you. Yes. Why? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't interrupt you get upset. I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. I can't win. In the spring of 2002, her mother's boyfriend got drunk and fractured little Joey's knee. So social services obviously got involved and they put him in a foster, in, put him in foster care. I love how the kid gets taken out, not the guy that actually did the yeah, problem. Yeah, I know. That's that's the problem, right? That's the problem with society. But they had to make sure he was safe, obviously. Well, I get that, but maybe you should lock up the idiot that broke him. I, absolutely, he should have been locked up. Yeah. Um. So on August 23rd, 2002, Michelle was 21 and she was walking home from her cousin's house. She was scheduled to appear in court for a child custody case involving Joey, who was in custody of the state at that point. She got lost on her way to the case management meeting, and she stopped at a store to ask for directions. She was freaking out because she didn't think that there was any way that she was going to make it to the meeting on time. She didn't know where she was. Um, she was trying to phone the office, but she couldn't get through, so she thought for sure that she was going to miss this like hugely important meet meeting, right? 
Yep. Then a man offered to help her. She recognized him as the father of one of her friends. And he said, I know where it's at. I can take you straight to it. It'll take me five minutes. Why wouldn't she trust him? Right? It's the father of one of her friends. you don't trust anybody. I know. DTA. I know. She shouldn't have. But I, I mean, in my shoes, I probably would have too. 21 years old. I'm freaking out. I'm trying to get to my kid. There's a guy that I recognize. I don't know him very well, but I recognize him as one of my friend's fathers i probably would have trusted him too anyways she agreed thinking this guy was going to be her savior but he was not the man that took her was ariel castro so instead of going to the family court he took her to his home on the pretense of first picking up his daughter and showing michelle some puppies but his daughter didn't live with him and there were no puppies he said he, so he gets her in the house and he's showing her around the house. And then he, um, I think they were in the bedroom at this point, but he says to her, you're not going to leave for a long time. And he started undressing himself. Michelle was begging him saying that she needed to get to her son. And she was holding a picture of her son to show him. He ripped up her son's picture and told her that she was never going to see her son again. He ended, Ooh, something's talking to you over there. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> He ended up holding her captive in this house for more than a decade. Down, like, in a neighborhood in Cleveland, right? It's Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. Police later admitted that limited resources had been spent on investigating her disappearance, partly because she was an adult and partly because authorities believed that she had run away voluntarily due to anger over losing custody of her son. So they just kind of wiped their hands of it, which is very sad. You know what? And the, the more and more I hear from your stories, more and more common that seems to be. It is. People who are um, in bad circumstances, they just kind of get forgotten by the wayside when really terrible things are happening to them. It's got to be fixed. I think we're starting to make direction. You know, progress. we're start, yeah, progress in that direction. That's the word I was looking for. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> okay. At first, Michelle was kept bound with an extension cord wrapped around her legs, arms, and neck. He shoved a sock in her mouth to muffle her screams. Castro raped her multiple times a day and put on loud music to muffle her cries. While Michelle was in prison, Castro impregnated her at least five times, and, it had, and then he induced miscarriages each time by beating her. He would hit her with dumbbells, punch her, and slam her against walls. He also starved her. Jesus. Yeah. Like, monster. I know I keep, I say that in a lot of my episodes, but it's hard to believe how many monsters are out there living like normal people. Mm -hmm. uh, even though Castro had Michelle captive in his home, he still wasn't satisfied. So now we're going to talk about his second victim, Amanda Berry. This was about a year after kidnapping Michelle. Just a day before her 17th birthday, Amanda Berry got up and got ready to work at Burger King. She also, she thought she was going to call in that day. She thought about it. She woke up as like, I'm not feeling it. Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm not going to do this. But she decided, well, I better be the good, good employee. And she went in. Employee of the month. Yeah. <laughs> well, she was walking home after her shift. A vehicle started to follow her down the street. And the man inside asked her if she needed a ride home. She recognized the man as an elementary school bus driver and the father of one of her friends and classmates from middle school, so she agreed to the ride. 
Around 8 p.m., she called her sister to tell her that she was getting a ride home. She had a cell phone. Yeah. And that was the last time that they spoke to her. Castro knew that Amanda and his daughter were friend. And on the way, he told Amanda that his daughter was at home and asked her if she wanted if he, she wanted to go see her, like go for a visit. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, his daughter lived with an, in another neighborhood of Cleveland with his ex-wife. Anyways, Amanda said, yeah, sure. After they entered the white two-story house on Seymour Avenue, Castro told Amanda that his daughter might be taking a bath. He suggested that they waited that they wait and started showing her around the house. Castro took her upstairs and showed her something strange, a mysterious woman sleeping in a bedroom in front of a television set. This of course was Michelle, but Amanda wouldn't learn that until later. He took her to the next bedroom and it was really dark in there and he didn't turn on the lights. And there was this little room off of the bigger bedroom, like kind of like a big closet. Yep. Like a walk-in closet? That yeah, big? but I think it was a little bit bigger than that, but not Even much. bigger than a walk-in closet? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, but not much. Right? Okay. Um, and he took her in there, and he told her to pull down her pants, and that's when she knew that she was in trouble. She became Castro's second prisoner. He took her to the basement and her and bound her wrists and ankles and put a belt around over the top of the tape. So she, he taped up her wrists and ankles and then put a belt on top of that. Uh, he put a helmet over her head and said, just be quiet and don't, don't make any noise. And he would take her home. Castro chained her to a pole, shut off the lights and left her in the dark with a television on. She just started screaming and crying. Somebody, please help me. But nobody came. She said she was so scared. She thought she was going to die and she didn't think that she was ever going to make it home. As the news of her abduction made headlines, Amanda watched her mother and sister on the TV in the basement, and that's what kept her going. She vowed that she would make it home to them. Eventually, Castro moved her to the upstairs bedroom and chained her to a radiator. The FBI initially considered her a runaway until a week after the kidnapping, so the FBI kind of dismissed her too. Even this one? Even this one. But she had like a good family life, didn't she? But they just, I think a lot of the times when teenage girls go missing and it's like, even in Cleveland, right? There probably are a lot of runaways that they expect to show up again, but they didn't take her that seriously at first because they just figured she was a runaway. Um, But a week later, Amanda, um, sorry, Castro called Amanda's house, like called his, her family using Amanda's cell phone. I don't know why he did that. It seems strange, but that's what he did. He called and said, I have Mandy. And nobody called her Mandy except people who knew her. And he said, she just she just wants to be with me and then hung up. The FBI was just starting at that point to develop technology that could track a cell phone's location if it was turned on. With that information, they were able to narrow down her phone to a 30 to 40 block area. They spent about a week around the clock in that area, hoping that this phone would be used again, but Castro never used her phone again. Amanda was featured in a 2004 segment of America's Most Wanted. Once a day, Castro would give her a bag of chips or crackers or other food to eat, but everything, including her weekly shower, came at a sick price. In her diary... Amanda used a code to record how many times he raped her each day. Her hope was that one day the authorities would be able to see her diary and she would be able to use it against him. 
After about a year, the sicko went hunting again. This time he found 14, poor baby, 14-year-old Gina de Jesus, just five blocks from where he kidnapped Amanda. Keeps getting younger and younger. Yeah. Gina was a close friend with Castro's daughter, Arlene. I think Castro had several children. That's why they all kind of knew one of his children. Um... Castro, he was also friends with Gina's dad. He said afterwards that he didn't know that Gina was related, but seems suspicious, like this guy's a creep. So yeah, he was friends with the dad and kidnapped the daughter. On the day that she was kidnapped, Gina and Arlene were heading home from school together when they went their separate ways. As Gina was walking, a maroon vehicle pulled up to the curb with Arlene's father at the wheel. He asked, have you seen my daughter? And she was like, yeah, he, she's just around the corner. And he goes, well, can you help me find her? So she answered sure and got into the car. But instead, Castro jo- drove Gina to his house, where he asked her to help move a stereo. Once inside, Gina started noticing his bizarre behavior. He was fixing his eyebrows and trimming his mustache and cutting his nose hairs. He was grooming. And then he started to touch her. And she says, what are you doing? You could go to jail. He answered, well, okay, we're going to go. But you can't come. You can't go through the same door that you came in. So he tells her that he's going to lead her outside, but through a different door. And he led her to the basement where he grabbed her and chained her up. He didn't make it tight enough. So she threw it over and she tried to run. But then he grabbed her and sat on her back. And then she just started kicking him. She did, like, she actually got him pretty good and did some damage and bruised him really badly. Like, a teeny tiny little victory. She must have hurt him pretty good because the first time that he raped her was on May 7th, so five days later. The FBI figured out that whoever had kidnapped Amanda had also kidnapped Gina. And it became national news and received regular media attention. It was featured on America's Most Wanted, The Oprah Winfrey Show, and The Montel Williams Show. So all of these people are listening to this story. All of these people are looking out for suspicious people. And the whole time, he's right there, blocks away, in the middle of Cleveland for yeah. 10 years. They always say, right, you never suspect your neighbors. They yeah. Come out, they're, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. it's amazing. The families held public vigils, and Castro attended at least two of these vigils. He was there. I was going to say, I was was just about to say, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't showing up for stuff. Yeah. He also participated in a search party and tried to get close to Gina's family. Like, creep. You can't. These people are like, oh, thank you. You're helping me look for my daughter. Meanwhile, he has them. It's awful. Yep. At first. What a mind game, eh? Yeah. At first, Castro took special care to keep the girls divided and didn't permit them to talk. He was always there watching every move. It was like he knew everything, every move that the girls made. The girls were occasionally allowed out of their rooms to do chores, but they had to obey strict rules. The only thing that the girls had to pass the time was the TV. This is sad, too. Amanda said she would watch the Montel Williams show featuring psychic Sylvia Brown, desperately wishing that her mother would one day appear on the show and ask Brown so that Sylvia could tell her mom that she was alive and okay. And on 2004, her mother was there, so she did go, on the show with Sylvia Brown. And Brown told her, I'm sorry, she's not alive. She said she was dead and that she was in water. 
Amanda was devastated. She was even more devastated when her mother broke down in tears. Wow. She yeah. Got that wrong, huh? She sure did. Amanda's mom never got to see her daughter freed. So she just thought that she was dead the whole time because she ended up dying of heart failure three years after Amanda disappeared. Wow. Yeah. On her 20th birthday, Amanda realized that she might be pregnant. She was terrified. She was like, how? She barely ate. She was chained to a wall and she had a bucket for a bathroom, but she gave birth to Jocelyn on Christmas day in 2006. Amanda said that having this little girl there was a welcome distraction. And as Jocelyn grew older, Castro allowed her freedoms that Michelle, Amanda and Gina were not given though. She was locked in the room with um, her mom. Sometimes when Castro left the house, Jocelyn could go with, could go with him. He allowed her to go outside in the backyard to the park, park or to Sunday services with her father and sometimes he would tell people that he was her father and sometimes he would tell people that he was her grandfather but she was allowed out Hmm. Jocelyn loved her dad because she didn't know she she didn't know anything else right yeah yeah um and Castro loved her so she was like I don't know a little buffer but uh, Amanda was always worried that Castro would start abusing her too but in, as far as I know, it never happened. Okay, so we're at May 6, 2013. Jocelyn is six. Jocelyn went downstairs and then came back up to say that she couldn't find Daddy anywhere. For the first time in 10 years, Amanda said she found her bedroom door unlocked without Castro around. And she knew that this was her chance. Downstairs, the front door was open, but wired with an alarm. And beyond it, the storm door was padlocked shut but Barry was still able to squeeze out an arm and then she started screaming for help. Gina thought that Amanda had been caught by Castro at this point and talked Michelle out of running to Amanda. Amanda said someone passing by outside saw her, but didn't do anything. Turns out it was a neighbor that didn't speak very much English and he wasn't really sure what was going on. And that's when neighbor Charles Ramsey showed up and Charles put on his damn cape and he took care of business. Not literally. He has a cape? (laughs) Why would you say that? (laughs) As soon as I saw your eyes light up, I think, I thought, he really thinks he put a cape. Oh, yes. (laughs) Why wouldn't you? (laughs) No, he didn't put on a a literal cape. He put on a figurative cape. (laughs) Well, that's dumb. (laughs) He kicked in the door until there was a big hole... Uh, there until there was a hole big enough for her to squeeze through and he helped Amanda escape. When she was out, Amanda called for Jocelyn to crawl through the door. The two of them found a neighbor with a phone and they called 911. She called and said, help me. I've been kidnapped and I've been missing for 10 years and I'm here. I'm free now. I get goosebumps <laughs> reading that. Can you imagine being the, the 911 dispatcher who got Probably that didn't call? believe her. Probably not. Yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. This is for emergency calls, not to be playing <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. Imagine that. Anyways, that's not what happened. <laughs> Police arrived and rescued Gina and Michelle also. Amanda says to this day, she has no idea where Castro was that day or why he left her door open. But 10 years, 10 years later, you're bound to make a mistake, right? (laughs) 
What about the other Especially girls? when you got a little six year. Yeah, he, they police came and rescued them too. I guess when they went into when the police went in, they weren't sure if it was like legit and the girls were hiding a little bit. And then I think it was Gina who stuck her head out first and they rescued her. And or I don't know. One of them, the first one they rescued, I can't remember, like jumped into the police officer's arms. It, it was a dramatic moment. So this is national news and you don't know what happened? <laughs> Don't start with me. What do you mean don't start with you? I'm telling you what happened. You don't know what happened. You said, I think, and then I don't know, and maybe, and this happened, then somebody jumped in their arms. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's get back to this. Did you like it better when I was quiet? (laughs) Be careful what you ask for. Castro was arrested on May 6, 2013. He was charged with four counts of kidnapping and three counts of rape on May 8th. That's it? No, it gets, that's just what they got him at first with. Listen. (laughs) On August 1st, 2013, Castro was sentenced to life plus 1,000 years in prison. And he pleaded guilty to 937 counts of kidnapping and rape. He was found in his cell a month later. He had hung himself. Of course he did. Yeah. As part of the plea plea bargain, the house where Castro had lived and held the women captive was finally demolished on August 7th, 2013. Michelle was there, the badass that she was. She was there watching the house get demolished, and she was handing out yellow balloons to spectators, which she she said represented missing children. The balloons were released before Gina's aunt began the demolition with a swing of a crane. And it's now a garden. So that's nice. Yes, it is. Uh, Two years later, Gina and Amanda graduated from high school. Gina got to have the quinceanera she was never allowed to have. And she wore a dazzling white dress. Amanda and Gina wrote a book together called Hope, a memoir of survival in Cleveland. Amanda now works with a local news station covering missing children and adults in the Cleveland area. And Gina has started a foundation for children that are at risk. And, and it didn't it? say, it didn't say what Michelle was doing. It probably did. Maybe it did, but I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michelle was just forgotten. Again. Well, maybe I should go and check that. However, <laughs> It's a little late. (laughs) You're recording. (laughs) Supposed to check that before the mics get turned on. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, Michelle. I'm sure you're doing badass shit like you were at the hand when you were handing out yellow balloons at the demolition of the house. So that is my story. That that is your story. That That is is my story. Amanda, Michelle, and Gina. So I guess that means it's my turn. It is your turn. Any thoughts or any speculations you'd like to say on your story still or no? You're good? We can I don't on. understand. I didn't know if there's something else. Maybe you forgot. No, I, that's it. That's all I've got written down. So it. I'm not, it's not like I'm going to remember something after. After, after? No. <laughs> I remember memory of goldfish. No, goldfish is longer. <laughs> <laughs> you rival 10 second Tom. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What do you got for me? I have Darwin Awards. Good. That's your job. Although, although next recording, which is actually last recording to you guys, I get to do Darwin Awards. 
It's yeah, all confusing. Right they now. already know that. I know, but I don't. I haven't done it yet. But they will know what you've done. We're in the future. We're in the future. We're time travelers. Look at us. <laughs> we took our DeLorean. <laughs> and now we're trying to find a clock tower to get back. <laughs> With a bolt of lightning. A bolt of lightning? <laughs> 1.2 gigawatts. <laughs> gigawatts. Whatever. I don't know. I'm making it up. Okay. We've rambled on long enough. Uh, so, yes. My Darwin Award is about a holy Roman emperor. 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 Frederick. Okay. He embarked on the Third Crusade to recapture the Holy Land in the 20th century. After okay. spending... I think this, this might be one of the ones that I was going to do. After spending days trudging across the dry summer desert, his army and him came upon the river Salef. Okay. And his parched state, he threw caution to the wind... And plunged into the river. No, this isn't mine. Okay, I'm with you. I'm listening. You weren't listening before. I was listening, yours. but I was also listening going, is this one of the ones that I was going to do? So, however. Okay, where is this? He's going across the Holy Land. So I'm assuming Rome area? Israel. Israel. Okay. Deserts. Deserts. You just said Holy Lands. Okay. Okay, I'm with you. Carry on. All right. Well, it's almost over now. I was just about to the ending. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what animal's going to eat him. That's why I was asking. Instead of throwing <laughs> caution to the wind, he should have thrown his armor to the wind. Oh. And he promptly sunk to the bottom of the river and drowned. No. Yep. It must have been a deep river. Why didn't anybody help him? I don't know. His whole army was there. And they're like, oh, he screwed that shit up. We didn't What's like him anyways. Yeah. Let's, let's just yeah. watch for a little yeah. bit. See watch what happens. Bit. See rip, what happens. Rip, 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 rip. Okay, we can go Rippery! home. <laughs> <laughs> yep, out of that one. That's funny. It is kind of funny. Yeah. Now. And like, he's just, he's walking a lot. You know you know he's strutting. He's like, yep, I've just taken over all of these places. I am an emperor. <laughs> yep. And blub, 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 blub. Yep. Blub, blub, blub. <laughs> Who do you think, if, if you say most lethal or most, um, like, warrior in history, what name comes to your mind? Attila the Hun. Well, my next story is about Attila the Hun. <laughs> oh, that was a good guess. It is. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why I said that is because, yeah, you think of this guy as being this badass guy that went through China, yeah, you know, kicked the shit out of everybody, and yet winds up with a Darwin. Is that he died from a Darwin? Let me tell you. Okay. Attila the Hun was one of the most notorious villains in history. He conquered all of Asia by uh, 450 AD, by destroying villages and pillaging the countryside. Okay. He was, this bloodthirsty man died on his wedding night. So there's a little, con there's, there's, of course, with everybody that dies back in that time, there's also a conspiracy theory with Okay, this. but do we know how old he is at this point? Uh, no, I don't, okay. I didn't get All into right. how old he was. I didn't care. I only tell dying. 
Yeah. Didn't matter. I, yeah, I just didn't know. That was all. 450 AD. So he would be older. Yeah. He's already conquered most of Asia, right? I guess, yep. So anyways, on his wedding night, um, after feasting and toasting to his own good fortune, he was too drunk to notice that he had smashed his nose. How did he smash his nose? Fighting and carrying on, whatever they do at the oh, feast and like stuff like that. Barbarian style. Yeah. Well, that's right. what he was, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, so his nose started bleeding. Yeah. But he was so drunk that he didn't know. And he went to bed and he drowned in his own blood. Come from on. From the nosebleed. Yep. Now, the conspiracy is that the bride, because she went in with them, poisoned yeah. him oh. uh, to take back for stuff because she was actually given to him. Uh, to help save other countries and either stuff. way because like either way if she poisoned him or if he died on his own blood she was probably like really happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably one of the highlights yeah. of her day i could i could see that <laughs> so yeah do you want another one sure we have time you're gonna like this one okay so Francis Bacon was an influential statesman, philosopher, writer, and scientist in the 16th century. Yeah. He had been struck by the notion that snow instead of salt might be used to preserve meat. Okay. To test his theory, he stood outside in the snow and attempted to stuff a chicken. With snow. With snow. However, Isn't that just freezing meat? Well, that's what I think they were getting <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah, okay. All right. So they, like at this point, they didn't know that frozen meat was preserved. 16th century. Oh, okay. So you don't listen to my stories at all. Sit over there, drink your wine, right? That's all you do. I'm going to drink my wine, be pretty, and I'm just going to interrupt them because I didn't listen. I have been listening and engaging, in fact. You didn't even know what century we were in. So I missed one thing. <laughs> <laughs> one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so he's out there stuffing the bird, uh-huh. but the chicken didn't freeze, but he did. Oh, no. Yeah, he froze to death trying to stuff a chicken full of snow. I guess he didn't decide that he was cold enough. Did they test the theory on him? Well, he's preserved. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, those were good That's ones. three were little, little ones right there. So that's my Darwin stories. Good job. Good job. They weren't as fantastic as other ones, but. No, they were good. You just usually have some kind of like statistics. For well, it. it's hard with stati- like with those ones because I'm, I'm into the older ones. Newer ones, I can go and do oh, statistics, yeah. right? Yeah. But I guess I could have got down to how many people died in their sleep with, with those bleeds. I bet you he was poisoned. To, to, I bet you he, to, he had help. To go out there and say how many people died while stuffing a chicken full of snow. Probably one. Probably one. <laughs> I don't think that's a statistic I was really going to go too far with. And how many people died with their armor at the bottom of a... You know what I mean? See how that's a little hard to run for statistics? Yeah, I I guess you're right. I could have done the nosebleed. nosebleed. You're right. I apologize, people. So, yeah, that brings us to our call to action. Call to action. So, please tell all your friends, like us, and listen to us. (laughs) That's what it all comes down to. Yeah, we, tell your friends. If you have anybody that would you think would enjoy the show, tell them. That would be good. And if you're at a party somewhere and everybody leaves their phone lying around, 
just go on there and like and follow. <laughs> yeah. Just go on there, yeah. like it, subscribe to them, do all that stuff to them. They won't know what's going on. They'll just get a notification that we're up and they'll go away. And join our Facebook page if you haven't already. I know there's a whole bunch of people in our Facebook group. I think Facebook needs to clean up pages and groups. They're different, but they don't. I don't know. They're hard to navigate, I think. Anyways, we have like a lot of people in our group. I'd like yep. people on our page. Yeah, that's... Oh, well. Yeah. Come to our page. Yes. At least they're in our group. <laughs> yes. And like, follow, subscribe. What's the other thing? Oh, you can uh, email us at... DebtorSurvivePodcast at gmail.com. I'm still looking for stories. I want to read your story. Send me any near Darwin Award. Send me any survival story that you know of, even in your hometown. You whatever. can even send us a future Darwin. So if, if you're wondering what a future Darwin is, somebody that you know that's done something really stupid but survived, so you think they're going to be a future Darwin <laughs> yes. Award. You can do that I like too. It. I like we it. We can do future Darwin Awards. Or even awards. if it's not, like, even if it's just somebody that lives in the same city as you. We'd love to hear about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And for the people that have reached out to us on Facebook, thank you very much. And yep. uh, Instagram and all that stuff. So now, all we have left is a dad joke. A dad joke. You look like you're looking one up right now. No, I have one <laughs> okay, here. Okay. Just, uh, I was going to tell you a time-traveling joke, but you didn't like it. Oh. Oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> she didn't get it. I didn't get it. And do you know why? <laughs> because we talked about time-traveling on this episode. And I was like, what is he doing right now? <laughs> And that is the dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like that actually. <laughs> oh boy. The joke's not as funny when I have to explain it. <laughs> you didn't have to explain it. You just had to give me a second. You know I got there. I got there. It would have been so, you know, when we get to YouTube, for them to watch the blank expression across your face would be so great. Because <laughs> you were like, huh? <laughs> you were like a. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> and then you were like, it was like a sloth opening its eyes slowly. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh, I get it. It was a thinker. <laughs> Everybody, again, I'm Rob Richards. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Yep. Have a good time. Okay, bye. <laughs>